Amen. All right. Well, it's uh, time for discipleship class again, and uh, I'm excited about it. Received some uh, feedback and some interest from uh, a lot of folks here of, of late, uh, talking about some of the uh, classes on uh, spirit, soul, and body, and understanding the new birth. So, uh, welcome those of you online. We've got a great group in the room. Should have some more people joining us here in a few minutes. Uh, in the room, I never want to embarrass these ladies, but some of them came without food, uh, and because they said food was more important. I mean, this food was more important than physical food, and so that um, that touches me, that blesses me. So God is good, Amen. Amen. Seems like um, Jesus said something to that effect when Martha was trying to get the food ready and fussing about her sister not wanting to help, and Jesus said that she had chosen the better part. And that which would never be taken away from her. So I'm just uh, believing that for you ladies uh, tonight. And um, amen. We did round up some graham crackers and some peanut butter anyway. <laughs> but that's not much of a supper. But God is good. Amen. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get right to it. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your love. Father, thank you that uh, you are with us and you promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And, and Lord, it, it would just really be... Uh, uh, pointless for us to be here tonight if you weren't here and if you weren't involved in this, Father. And so, Lord, I thank you that that you add meaning, you add value, you you add, um, Lord, uh, to everything that you are a part of. And so, we welcome you, Father. We give you place. We uh, invite your Holy Spirit uh, to bring your Word alive to us uh, this evening, Lord, as we study together. Thank you, Father, that um, we grow individually, but Lord, how fun it is to grow and learn and develop together. Lord, thank you for uh, the purposes uh, that you assigned to us and the grace that you gave to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And Father, in, in your infinite wisdom and glorious plan, Father, tonight has something to do with that, Lord. As, as you equip us and, and enable us to be more effective in what you've put us on this earth to do. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. We yield to him tonight. We thank you, Father, again, for your word, living and powerful, coming alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Praise God. All right, so just uh, as we begin uh, this evening, class 29, by the way, and uh, the title slide is Understanding the New Birth, Part 2. Understanding the New Birth Part 2. And if you have not heard or listened to a Part 1, I would really encourage you to do that. And I think some of you that were here for Part 1 would probably say uh, amen to that. Amen. Things we talked about last week, and we'll build on that after a brief review this week. So um, on the screen, and I'll put it uh, on the uh, broadcast screen as well, we have the drawing that we've been working from, and, and this, of course, represents the three dimensions of man, spirit, soul, and body. And we've said that the spirit, the pneuma, is the real you. That's the part of you that is born again. If you've been born again, that's the part of you that was born again. Our soul is not born again. Our body, our flesh, is not born again. Our spirits are what's born again. Remember, he told Nicodemus, what's born of the flesh is flesh, speaking of a physical birth. But what's born of the spirit is spirit. Your soul, again, a dimension of your existence, very important. That's your mind, emotions, and will are the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. And then your spirit and soul are contained within your physical body. 
And there's a lot that we've said about this already. Every time I start talking about it, I want to talk for 40 minutes about it. And, and uh, amen. We're not going to do that tonight. But just remember the arrows proceeding forth from God represent both direction and connection. And Zoe is speaking of the life and nature of God. The life and nature of God. If um, I were to take a, a, a glass, a cup, and take the water that's in this bottle and pour it into that cup, then would it be safe to say the same water in this bottle is now in that cup? Of course. And when God created Adam, remember God spoke everything else into existence, but when he created Adam, he formed him with his own hands. And I like to say it's not the only time God's going to get his hands dirty where we're concerned. He formed Adam with his own hands. And then I visualize it as God gently catching him on the chin, bringing him close. And the Bible says that he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. So the same life that was in God, God poured from himself into Adam, and Adam became a living being. He became, one translation might be my favorite, is that he became a speaking spirit. He became a speaking spirit. Now we know that Adam and Eve sinned, and we know that when they sinned, they separated themselves from God which in effect shut off the life and nature of God flowing from God through a spiritual union because death means separation. And so they died spiritually, but they remained biologically alive. And this is best illustrated, I believe, in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says to a group of people who had bios, biological existence, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give it to you in overflowing abundance. And the life that Jesus, you know, when it says life in the English Bible, in Greek, Jesus said, I've come to give you zoe. I've come to give you the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance. When it says that he's come to give us eternal life or everlasting life, that life also is zoe. So Jesus came to give us the life and nature of God in uh, overflowing abundance forever. Amen. Eternal life in overflowing abundance. And we, of course, see where Jesus talked about that, that verse we looked at, I think, two classes ago, where he said that those who are born again and the Holy Spirit now lives within from your innermost being will spring forth rivers of living water. Amen. And that, of course, is speaking of the Holy Spirit that we have received. Now, as we build upon spirit, soul, and body, an understanding of this provides a brilliant foundation now for us to begin to understand what it means to be born again or what it means to receive salvation. And we're going to hopefully tonight get to where these two intersect, the idea of receiving salvation and the new birth. Um, there are different ways of describing or explaining the uh, same experience. But among the most important things that we said last week and that I want to say over and over again is that the new birth is a literal experience. It's not figurative. We're not talking about something that's you know, metaphorical. We're talking about something that literally happened. When you were born again, you were literally born a second time. That's what the Bible teaches. So it's not like turning over a new leaf, you know, like and as, and, and it's one way to, to try to understand it. No, no, it's something that literally happened to you. And as my experience uh, from being a servant leader in the body of Christ for many, many years is I've met a lot of people who have been born again, who have received salvation, 
but not that many of them who really understand what happened when they were. And it's very important for us to understand the new birth because all of this then is what provides the foundation for our discipleship and for, you know, who we are and just so many, many other things, all right? Now, we begin to ask the question last week, uh, you know, exactly what it is. If he saved us, what did Jesus save us from? And the typical answer is that he saved us from our sin. And that would be correct, but it would be uh, incomplete. Because we said last week that our issues went much deeper than our sinful behavior. Because we know that underlying sinful behavior is wrong thinking. Carnal behavior, fleshly living, is a direct result of carnal thinking, carnal mindedness, fleshly thinking. So Jesus came to save us from our sin, yes, but our problems went much deeper than our behavior, which would be something in our outward body, our outward life experience, or the outward man, all right? So you say, well, then did he come to save us from our soul, save our souls? And that's, that's what a lot of people think, and, and a lot of that is to do with a lack of understanding of what the soul really is, and, and, and because of that, and, and also because of the way the word soul is used. Um, it, you know, I don't know how many souls went down with the Titanic, okay, uh, but souls are often used as an expression for a, a, a life, um, it would sound kind of odd to say, you know, 1,300 spirits went down with the Titanic or, or what have you. Um, but the real you is the spirit, not the soul. And we've looked three classes ago, we looked at what it meant and how the Bible refers to the saving of the soul. And we remember we said that, that was a progressive work. And we will roll up our sleeves and really dig into that in the days ahead when we get to the section on the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind because the mind is the driving factor of the soul. But I haven't said it yet, so let me make sure I say it. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. All right? So it wouldn't be accurate then or complete, I should say. It could be accurate but still incomplete. Um, to say that Jesus came to save us from corrupted thinking or, or our corrupted uh, you know, mindsets and attitudes and what have you. So what we see then is that what Jesus came to do goes all the way to the very nature of our existence, the very nature of our existence. And when I use this term nature, I want you to be clear about that. I'm not talking about mother nature. When I say that Jesus came to save us from a bad nature. I'm not talking about uh, the physical environment around us. I'm talking about nature in the sense of the essence of what makes a thing what it is, the essence of a thing. In a moment, we'll talk a little bit about apples and oranges, but you understand the essence or the nature of an apple is, is completely different from the essence or the nature of an orange. And so when we talk about Jesus coming to save us from a corrupted nature, this is, you know, what we're talking about, you know, the deepest level of our existence, but also where the deepest level of our issue uh, resided. And so we've said it this way, that we've been saved from the corrupted seed of Adam. That's, some of you may have never heard that before last week, okay? But that's, that's the reality of it. We have, we have been saved. Jesus rescued us. He delivered us. He redeemed us 
from the corrupted seed of Adam. And so let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 where we find this. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 17 through 23. It says this, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So remember, (laughs) conduct, that's talking about our outward behavior. But with the precious blood of Christ. So we were not redeemed with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So when this was written, Jesus had only recently come to this earth, lived, died, was raised from the dead, and ascended back to the right hand of God. Okay, But that was not a last-minute plan or a last-ditch effort to save us. Jesus was not plan B. Amen. Jesus was like, oh, what are we going to do? Well, I guess we'll figure something out. And they cobbled together this last-minute rescue plan to... No, he had agreed to die for us before God ever created a single one of us. That's what it means foreordained. In Revelation, it says he was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So while the plan had been in place for generations, it, um, he was manifest or revealed or brought forth in these last times. And who was he brought forth for? For you, right? For us, for me and you. Praise God. All right. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls, so now we've gone from aimless conduct, now he's talking about uh, the purification of our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we see in these verses aimless conduct, then he talks about the purifying of your souls, and then he speaks of being born again of an incorruptible seed. And those all three um, relate directly to uh, body, soul, and spirit. Aimless conduct, body, purifying of the soul, obviously the soul, and then born again a second time of an incorruptible seed. So how do we know that, Pastor Mark? We know that based upon a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. This is not the first time we've heard being born again spoken of in Scripture. But what we have in the, uh, in the letters, the epistles, is, um, is an expounding upon and a building upon and a further explanation of what we already find both in the Old Testament and in the earthly ministry and teachings of Jesus. So again, he says that we have been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. What we know from Scripture, and it's a, it's a you know, universal law of Scripture, is that seed reproduce after their own kind. So if, if you want a pecan tree, there's no need in planting an acorn, right? Because, you know, an, an acorn is going to do what? It's going to, it's going to produce, people laugh at me when I say acorn, all right? But, amen, however you say it, you know what I'm talking about, amen. Um, it, it, it's, if you want a pecan tree, you need to plant a pecan seed, right? Because seed reproduce after their own kind. And what we see then is that we were all born from a corrupted seed. Adam's seed was corrupted 
and we were born from Adam's seed. This is why Jesus said you must be born again. Not it would be a good idea if only you could be. Everything would be fixed in your life if we could just figure out a way to get you, you know, born a second time of a different seed. But, you know, you're just stuck because you were born of, of a corrupted seed and you're just going to be corrupted forever. No, no. We've been born a second time and, and this time of an incorruptible seed. Now, because seed reproduces after its own kind and you and I have been born of an incorruptible seed, incorruptible means it cannot be corrupted, all right? And so we've been born of a seed that can't be corrupted, which means our new spirit that was produced from that seed can't be corrupted. That's a good spot to say amen, all right? Amen. I, know, I know, and I have to watch myself because especially um, when I have opportunity to teach these things to, 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 to people, and, and by the way, that's a, a lot of times, you know, a lot of people in the room never heard these things. And I understand sometimes it's like a, you know, you sit there with your mouth open, like what in the world, you know, who knew all this? And, and so I understand that, and I try not to, because I've taught these things for so many years, I've kind of learned, okay, just because they're not nodding in agreement, that doesn't mean they're in disagreement, all right? But um, this, you know, brings us back then to uh, the verse that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in 1 John 3 and 9, where he says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. So remember, he, he said in 1 John 1, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. But that's talking about your, your outward part because he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So the outward part of us is still a work in progress. Remember, you've got the same flesh as somebody who's never heard the name of Jesus, much less been born again. Uh, but that flesh doesn't have to rule us. And Paul said that he kept it, referring to his flesh, under subjection. So do you, do you see then why it's so important for us to recognize the new birth as a literal experience instead of a figurative experience. There is something in you now that was not in you before. Amen. It's the seed of God. And we're going to look more into, into that you know, aspect of this tonight. Uh, that, is, that is in you. Amen. It's in your born-again spirit. And because the seed that produced your new spirit is incorruptible, your new spirit can no longer be corrupted all right so just again some of this is new some of this is review most of this is review so far we were all born from corrupted seed but if you've received salvation you've been born again from an incorruptible seed which lives forever so jesus then came to do what he came to save us from the corrupted seed of adam came to save us from the corrupted seed of adam all right go with me now to ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. If you're looking for some awesome verses to commit to memory, uh, look no further. I mean, these are some good ones right here. Some, I mean, they're all good. Don't misunderstand me. But you know, what's being communicated here is, is so rich and is truth that the enemy hopes you never hear. And if you hear it, he hopes you forget it. And he's going to try his best to steal it from you, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I want you to pay close attention to the pronouns. He's personalizing it, you. So you've got to take this personally. He's talking about you, okay? Not just talking about the person next to you, but you, okay? And then I want you to also notice that he's talking about past tense. He didn't say you are dead. He said you were dead. So you he made alive. He made alive. He made you something you could never make yourself through the new birth. 
and he made you alive again. Remember, we were spiritually dead. And as those who were spiritually dead, we were separated from, from God. The arrow that says Zoe, once again, it's communicating direction and connection. The direction of the flow of God's life and nature, but also the source of it and the connection um, you, you know, that that uh, Zoe, life and nature, flows through. So he made you alive because we were previously dead in trespasses and sins. He says, sins in which you once walked, again, past tense, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In the sons of disobedience. I'll come back to it. Let's keep going. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Again, pay attention. We were, everyone's included in this. But this is past tense. We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, and were by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. Okay, now, there's a couple of things here that I want to point out that may, you may not have noticed at first glance. I tried to kind of emphasize them when I read through them. But then also, you may not recognize the significance of these things. But that is the use of the phrases sons of disobedience and children of wrath. And then when he says just as the others, he's saying that no human being other than Jesus was excluded from this. Now, this brings up a whole nother, um, you know, rabbit trail that we could go down. But let me just mention it here and now. Do you understand why the virgin birth was necessary? If Jesus had been born from the seed of another human being, then he would have been born from corrupted seed. His blood would have been corrupted by sin and would have therefore not been able to pay for our sin. So he was supernaturally conceived, not by Joseph or by another human being, but by the Holy Spirit. And we know that he was the Word made flesh. He was the Word of God made flesh. He could not be anything outside the womb that he was not in the womb. So what seed was, was you know, placed inside Mary's body that enabled her to conceive the Son of God. It was the, it was the Word of God. It was the eternal, living, powerful Word of God. That was the seed that the Holy Spirit impregnated uh, Mary with. And we know then that, that it was the Word of God that she conceived, and it was the Word of God made flesh that she gave birth to. And, and some of that, <laughs> you just <laughs> got to understand it by faith. I mean, that's come far out stuff. But, but it, and this is why a lot of... Uh, you know, more enlightened, modern-day, you know, uh, preachers, you know, uh, refuse to insult the intelligence of the parishioners by daring to believe in a virgin birth. Let me tell you something. If, if, if it wasn't a virgin birth, let's just make this place a skating rink and go do something else. Let's fish on Sundays, right? I mean, they, they, we're, we're as lost as a goose. I mean, they, they, amen. He had to have been born of a virgin, or he's no different than any of us. He would be in the same boat that we were in. Whew, so thank God. And so this, this, is, this is critical. Amen. This is, this is important. Um, and then let, let me go back. And I know it's been a minute or two since I've said this, but I like to just keep reminding you of this because it's, there's, there's, there's just lots of far-reaching, impactful truth in this. All right? 
Um, the fruit is in the tree, right? The seed is in the fruit that's in the tree, and the tree is in the seed that's in the fruit that's in the tree. So when we talk about his seed abiding in you, amen, are you following me? You, you were born again of that seed, but now that seed is in you. And remember we talked about a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. A lot of times the fruit of the Spirit is a classic example of this. And I'm not saying that, that Bible teachers and preachers who do this are, are necessarily wrong, but a lot of times we hear teaching on the, the, the uh, nine fruits of the Spirit as if there's something that we, you know, you need to go do this and you, you need to be better at this. And, and certainly we should aspire to those things. Don't misunderstand me. We love on purpose. I'm, I'm not, but, but that's, I think, a, a completely wrong understanding of this. You know, an apple tree doesn't, like this time of year, start going, you know, it's, in other words, it's, the, the fruit's in it, right? And, and if it's healthy and if it's in the right season, that fruit's, you can't keep that fruit from coming out. Amen. That fruit's coming out of you. Amen. And so that fruit's in you and me right now. All these different inward realities. Righteousness is in you. Freedom is in you. Power is in you. Authority is in you. Healing is in you. Glory is in you. Amen. Remember Matthew 13, 52, after all those lessons on the kingdom, he asked the disciples, do you understand this? And they're going, oh, yeah, Jesus, we got it. Let's go get a cheeseburger. And Jesus is like, oh, do you have it now? He said, well, let me, know how, let me, let me tell you how you'll know when you got it. Right? Everyone who's perfectly trained in the kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put their hand on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. Because where's the kingdom now? It's in you. Kingdom's in you. And everything that kingdom will produce, everything that kingdom is, the authority of that kingdom, the resources of that kingdom, they're all inside of you. You say, how could that all be inside of me? How could a thousand demons be in one man? See, your, your spiritual capacity is so much greater then, then, you know, we think of, you know, we eat two pieces of cake and we're, oh, you know. So, but again, we're, that's physical. You step over into the spiritual, think three-dimensionally. Spiritually, you, you have this tremendous capacity. And so, oh, sweet Jesus, I, get, I said something about a rabbit trail, didn't I? But anyway, let me get back focused. So, so amen, we're talking about who's in you and, and what he's put in you and, and what's yours right now. It's not about trying to earn it. It's not, not a try, about one of the, I know some of you weren't here for these classes, but discipleship is not, is not about trying to become something you're not. It's about discovery. It's about finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's about understanding what you've been given. And, and remember, out of 1 Corinthians 2, now, beloved, we, you know, we, we have received not the spirit of this world, but we have received the spirit who is from God so that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. Ephesians 1.3, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have been given, freely given, all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1. Not will be given, already have been given. Amen. So these things are, are in you. They're the inward realities of, of your new birth. They're true about you now. Not something that we're trying to earn our way into or, you know, maybe one day if we go to enough classes and memorize enough verses and good enough, long enough. You know. No, right now, right now, He has perfected forever. That word perfected means completed. Co complete. Amen. Everything that you will ever need to live the life that God has called you to live and fulfill the destiny that God has given you to fulfill is already yours right now. Right now. 
Now, I'm not trying to, he's stretching us. See, the devil would have us constantly, you know, focused on what we think we don't have and may never have and how can we get it and, and never understand and live our whole lives with everything that we will ever need to do what God has put us on this earth to do and, and prosper and, and, and <laughs> amen, and then some, but yet never realize or never understand that. All right, now, so the emphasis here then is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. In verse 2, he says that we are sons of disobedience. And the emphasis there is that not just that we are disobedient. He, you know, he could have said it this way, right? Um, the Spirit who now works in those who are disobedient. But that's, that's not what the Holy Spirit's saying. It's not just about our disobedience. It's that we were the offspring of disobedience. We're sons and daughters of disobedience. Talking about before we came to Jesus. And then if you, hopefully that kind of clicked a switch. So now what does verse 3 say? And were by nature children of wrath. Not, not just deserving of wrath. But we, we are the offspring of wrath. We're the offspring. Our, our, we, we're by nature children of wrath. Okay? So, are, are you... Amen. Let me just keep going here. So, the, here, here is... Um, thank you, Jesus. Let's do it this way. I'll do it this a couple of times. So, here is, here is uh, chapter 2, verse 3. And I want you to see this if you haven't already. And if you make notes or even write in your Bible, you might want to do this or, you know, it's okay. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, I put it up on the screen. And notice what I've done for you. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. And so notice, for those of you who are listening on a, a podcast or whatever, after that phrase, I put in all caps the word body in parentheses because conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh is, is, is referring to our body. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So there's our soul. So again, in all caps and parentheses after the word mind, we have soul. And we're by nature. And after the word nature, all caps, we have the word spirit. We were by nature children of wrath just as the others, just like everyone else. So just to further emphasize this, um, here, here's the drawing that illustrates it, okay? Um, and you notice underneath spirit, soul, and body, we've got uh, nature, our thinking, and then our behavior, all right? So he says we were the offspring of disobedience, and we were by nature. Again, nature is referring to the very essence of what a thing is, and we were by nature the children of wrath or the offspring of wrath. So we're answering this question, you know, what does it mean to be born again? And why, why you know, along with that question, why is it necessary? Why is it a must? Okay. Well, it's a must because the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. Because seed determines nature. I'm going to say that two or three more times, and I probably got it on four more slides, okay? Seed determines nature. 
the nature that anything has is determined by the seed that produced it. Okay? The nature that a thing or a person has is determined by the seed that produced it. So the problem that Jesus came to solve for us goes all the way down to the nature problem that we had and the seed that produced the wrong nature in us when we were born. Okay? Amen? Now, keep all this in mind. Let's go now to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I, I understand that it's obvious, but let me point out the obvious anyway. 1 Peter 1.23 is where we see that you know, we've been born again, not of corrupted seed, but the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, okay, which lives and abides forever. Man, it's just so much here. It's like every time I say something, it's like, okay, tell them this, tell them that, tell them this, tell them that. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, next thing you know, I get in auctioneer mode. Okay, so let's calm down here, okay. Um, seed reproduces after its kind. And so what do you think a seed that abides forever, what, what's that going to produce? See, that's, you have eternal life right now. If, if you've been born again, um, you have eternal life right now. The seed that you were, that's why he can say in Hebrews 10 and 14 that you have been perfected forever. It's not based upon what you've done or haven't done. It's based upon what Jesus has done. And, and what He has made you, and what He has given you, and, and who and what He has placed in you, right? So we were born from corrupted seed, and that corrupted seed produced within us a corrupted nature because seed determines nature. The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. This is why Jesus said you must be born again, born again from a different seed, this time a seed that can't be corrupted, right, that lives and abides forever, and so we see this now in 2 Peter, which comes obviously after 1 Peter chapter 1. Now we jump to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4, "...by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption..." Having escaped the corruption. How do we escape the corruption? See, we think, we think escaping corruption means, you know, uh, avoiding bad things people are doing here on this earth. Well, I do recommend you avoiding bad things that people do here on this earth. But the corruption that we are escaping goes much deeper than our behavior, much deeper than our thinking. He's talking about us escaping the corruption that was our corrupted nature. How do we escape that corrupted nature? We escape that corrupted nature by being born a second time of, an, of a seed that is not corrupted, that cannot be corrupted. And since seed determines nature, and we've been born again of God's seed, we have now become a partaker of His divine nature. I'm not making this up. I'm reading the Bible to you now. Okay, and I don't have some special version of it. You know, I don't have some word of faith Bible that says something different than your Bible, okay? This is the word of God. This is the plan of God. Do you see why the devil never wants people to understand this? Why he just wants you to think of yourself as an old sinner saved by grace, you know? 
how he wants you to think that you, you know, who you are is determined by what you do and what have you done lately. And whatever you've done lately is determined who you are right now and whatever you do tomorrow will determine who you are tomorrow. And for us to constantly, you know, be, be trying to change who we are by what we do when behavior can't change the nature of a thing. We're talking about something now that transcends behavior. We're talking about now something that, that goes deeper than our thinking. You can't think your way into a divine nature. You can't behave your way into a divine nature. You can't buy your way into a divine nature. You can't go to enough classes, memorize enough, memorize enough verses, attend enough church services, or, or do enough good works to change your nature. The only way that could be changed is through the new birth to be born a second time of a different seed. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. I told you, fair warning, I'll be saying this so many different ways because I just I want you to lay down on your pillow tonight, and I want you to go, man, I'm so glad I've been born from a different seed. Amen. All right? So behavior cannot, behavior cannot, behavior cannot change the nature of a thing. Got to get this, okay? Because the world that we live in places so much emphasis on our behavior. And then religion and church places so much emphasis on our behavior. And if you go out of here saying that I said your behavior is not important, you, you misunderstand what I'm saying. Your behavior is important. But what we're talking about now is the wherewithal for you to be able to live right. And the only way you can live right is if he makes you right. He knew that if he made you right and then you let him teach you how to think like a right person, that your behavior would then reflect the inward reality of the righteousness you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you are a partaker of God's divine nature, then that means you have a righteous nature now. Because God is righteous. And this is what it means to be a partaker of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? That means that, that you are just as free as Jesus is. That, that, that you are just as prosperous and, and victorious. Oh, man. There's, all right, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we've we got to nail this down. Because un, unless and until we nail this down, the devil is going to just keep beating us senseless. All right? And so behavior cannot change the nature of a thing. So what we know, of course, then, is that if behavior cannot change the nature of a thing, then that means good behavior cannot change a bad nature. Now, I could preach that, and, and you know, I don't do it as, as much as I um, once did since heritage, but in, in, in years past, I have preached at different places and different churches and different denominations, and and obviously, you know, different churches and different denominations have different beliefs, and I always try to, you know, respect that. But at the same time, you know, I answer to God for whatever He would have me say uh, while I'm while I'm there. But I could preach this point at practically any church: Methodist, Baptist, Catholic. You understand what I'm saying? Um, and and everybody understands that you can't be good enough to change your nature from sinner to saint. Okay. In other words, amen, amen, and amen again. Very little to no disagreement, very little to no controversy that, um, but for the grace of God, um, there go I. Amen. And so good behavior cannot change a bad nature. Why is that? Because behavior can't change nature. Okay? But if good behavior can't change a bad nature, 
then bad behavior can't change a good nature. Is this where folks like, Amen. see, now this is where folks start getting, well, hold on a second now. You set us up right there, Pastor Mark, right? You know, because again, now, see, you can't, you can't amen good behavior can't change a bad nature and then refuse to amen bad behavior can't change a good nature because either behavior can change a nature or it can't. Either you can do something outwardly to change the essence of who you are into something different or you can't. Okay? So if good behavior can't change a bad one, then bad behavior can't change a good one. We're talking about something that transcends behavior. When I say transcends, it, 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 it goes deeper than. Okay? Yes? You're getting kind of quiet on me. All right? So let me say it another way. We, we were born sinners... But we were born again righteous. We were born sinners. We were born again righteous. Now let's clarify what we, what we mean by that. A sinner means someone with a sin nature. Okay? A sinner is someone who has a sin nature. Born again righteous means someone who has now become a partaker of the divine nature of God. That word, thank you Holy Spirit for reminding me. To partake of the divine nature of God. Are you ready? Wait for it. It means to have an equal share in. As a born again man or woman, born again by the exceeding great and precious promises of God, we have become a partaker of the divine nature of God, meaning we have an equal share in the divine nature of God. His nature has now become our nature. You may present yourself to the world as the stingiest man or woman that ever put on a pair of shoes. But if you're born again, you've got the same generous nature of God inside of you. And if your mind is not renewed to that and you still live selfishly and for yourself, you are going to be in constant conflict with the part of you that wants to be generous and that wants to help people, that wants to give and that wants to do. And then that other part of you that's afraid to do it and, and your fleshly mind is, is, is trying to override that part of you. But if you're listening to me and you're in that position right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. See, before you got born again, we sinned by reason of course. It's what we saw in Ephesians 2, right? It was our course. It was the way we rolled. It was all that we knew. It was how we lived. It was how we experienced fun and joy and all these other things. And we were uh, suckers for the devil because he set us up and we were vulnerable and, and wound up flying our lives into the side of a mountain. But boy, we sure enjoyed ourselves until the impact, right? But now that we get born again and we get a new nature in us, I'm not saying that you can't go commit a sin, but it ain't nearly as fun as it used to be. It's just, it's like, it just doesn't, you know, I'll tell you why, it's because it's not you anymore. It doesn't fit you. It doesn't look good on you. Jealousy doesn't look good on you. Anger and, and dominant negative emotions, all, see, it's because it's not you anymore. It's not who you are. The very power of God inside of you, both to will and to do, both to will and to do, Father's good pleasure. All right? So let's make sure we understand when we talk about sinner, we're not talking about somebody who commits a sin. We're talking about someone who by nature is a sinner, okay? And then we were born again righteous. Literally, if it's not too much for you to take, okay, you were actually born again and God calls you a saint. And so we don't, we, the devil's made a lot of folks uncomfortable with that term. 
for, for a couple of reasons. One is because, you know, maybe when you were trying to be good and other people around you were being bad, you know, they, they called you goody-goody or, or, you know, St. Margaret or whatever, you know, trying to, 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 to use that in a derogatory way. Or then we hear that word saint, and because of what religion in the world has done with that terminology, you know, is, is we think, well, I'm not a saint. Well, I've heard it said this way, you're either a saint or you ain't. Right? You, you, there's only two. You're either a sinner or a saint. And I, we'll get into it maybe later, but you read in the Scriptures where he speaks to the saints and then talks about how they need to quit committing fornication. <laughs> he calls them brothers, right? And then says, you know, you need to quit getting drunk, brethren. He, in other words, Paul understood, the Holy Spirit understood, these men and women, they're my brothers, Right? And they're saints, but they don't, they're not behaving like saints. But behavior is one thing. Nature is another. Three-dimensional thinking. Uh, some of you online are getting upset with me. Just stay. Come on. Come on back. Come on back. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You can, you, can, you can eat that hot dog later. Just hang in here, okay? We're going, I'm going to show you. I'm going to just, you say, I don't get it. Well, stay with me. We're going to get it. Amen. And we'll do it all over again next week until everybody gets it. Amen. Because we, we got to get this. All right? So let's, let's see if we can do this. Amen. Here, here, a couple of questions. It's not. A, it's, it's an important test, though, right? Is it possible for someone with a sin nature to do something right or good? Of course, it is. Yes. But doing right and good cannot change their nature from sinner to righteous. This idea that someone who is by nature a sinner, who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't know God, who's never been born again, who was born of the corrupted seed of Adam. This idea that they can never do anything right or nice or good, that we know the, that by experience, that's not the truth. But could they ever do enough right and good to change their nature from sinner to saint? Absolutely not. Okay, so watch this. Is it possible for someone with a righteous nature to do something wrong or bad? I wish I could tell you that that wasn't the case, but it is the case, right? We certainly can. But doing wrong or bad is just as powerless to change your nature from righteous to sinner or from saint back to sinner. Are you seeing this? Oh, sweet Jesus, I want you to see this. All right? So, amen. Let's do a quick review. Quick review. Jesus saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. Amen? The new birth is a literal experience. Seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. Amen? Yes? Yes? Some of your faces don't look like yes, but you're saying yes. All right, okay. Yes? Is this just too much for you right now? Come on. This is good. This is good news. For those of you who weren't here last week now, I'm going to go back to it, okay? I'm not just trying to make you laugh. But a lot of folks, man, they need to go back and quit singing Amazing Grace and start singing Rational Grace. Because the minute God's grace gets beyond what they think, what do you, what do you think it means for the grace to be amazing? For you to stand back and go, man, this is amazing. One other thing I said last week, I'm going to say it again. I didn't ask for this. I didn't demand this. I, di- I didn't like make it like a requirement. You know, it's like, God, if you're going to save me, then you're either going to let me be a partaker of your divine nature or you just don't bother, okay? No, I didn't ask for any of this. I, I, you know, if he just forgive, if he just figured out some way to keep me from burning forever in a devil's hell, I'd have took that deal in a minute, right? But that, that's, that, that ain't it, right? That's, he's done 
exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine? Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. And we just go on and on with this, right? But the minute we start talking about the grace of God in a, in a way, and the goodness of God in a way that goes beyond what people think is, is rational or makes sense or God should have done, they start pulling back from it, despite what the Scriptures say. The new birth is a literal experience. Seed determines nature. And the only way to change the nature of a thing is change the seed that produced it. We were by nature sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Having been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, we are now partakers of the divine nature. Wow, 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 wow. Okay? Now, let me put this uh, on this. I'll come back to you on watching online. I just want to put the... The image up there for a moment, okay? We've done this different ways over the year. By the way, for those of you who don't know, this is our 19th year of discipleship class, and so we're we are really really excited. Our 25th year uh, here at, at Heritage, um, first Sunday in June of '98 uh, was our first service, uh, and so man, it's just a year of, of milestones. It's a year of significant shift for us here, and uh, it's we man, we we are thankful, and so. Uh, when we first started doing this, and I probably should go back to it. I don't know if it's more impactful or not. This is kind of the easy way out. But uh, I'd actually go to the grocery store and buy the absolute most beautiful apple and the absolute most beautiful orange I could find. I might just pick through them until I find the, 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 the two prettiest ones. And um, back when you know we could all sit around one table, it made this a little easier. But uh, if you could imagine uh, an assignment, okay, let's say that I broke you up in groups of, of five and we're not going to do this, but let's say I broke you up in groups of five, and I and I gave each one of you um, an uh, an orange, and uh, and your job was to bring it back to me uh, as an apple for you to make that apple an orange, okay? And I know it may sound kind of like a silly thing, but if I was to give you the orange and tell you to make it an apple, well, you could potentially you know, start pressing it on the outside and kind of take it more from a ball to like an, a shape of an apple, uh, maybe get a red Sharpie or some paint and, and, and painted an apple. And if you're really artistic, you know, went to the you know, trouble of maybe I could airbrush it, you know. Um, you could stick a stem in it, uh, maybe even like get a leaf, um, you know, and so then you bring, everybody brings their, their apples turned in, their oranges rather turned back into apples, you know, bring, brings them to class the next week. Okay, look at what we've done, all right? And everybody sets them up here. Man, they all just like, whoo, man, some of these look just like apples. But if I was to grab the orange that looked like an apple and break it open, right? It's not just going to be an orange on the inside, what kind of seed's going to be in it? Seed's going to be orange seed in it. It's not just going to be an orange by nature. It's going to have an orange seed in it. Are you seeing this? Okay. Now, religion tries to change us from the outside in. Remember, the arrows denote connection and direction. You were created to live from the inside out, not the outside in. Religion is an outside-in approach. When we get to this part in, in, the, in the coming days, we'll maybe go a little deeper into this. But that was the problem with the law. 
the Old Testament law. It was an outside standard that we, by our own efforts, had to try and conform ourselves to. Okay? And so we see then that the nature of the orange is determined by the seed that produced it. Amen. And so the only way you can ever turn an orange into an apple is for that orange to be recreated with a different seed. And since all oranges go to hell and all apples go to heaven, I'm being silly now, okay? Are you seeing this? Because our entrance into heaven is not based upon, it's not based upon how good or bad we've been. I'm not recommending you go be bad. I'm just saying that's not what it's based upon, right? It's based upon you've either been born again and those who have been born again um, are, are God's sons and daughters and they will abide in Father's house forever. And those who have heard and not received, or, or you follow what I'm saying, then the, Jesus was very clear about it. I'm not trying to you know, just bring so many different things on the table, but I'm, I'm trying to help you see that you know, in, in this same scenario, uh, the apples go to heaven and the oranges go to hell. And, and the only way for an orange to become an apple is for that orange to be born a second time of a different seed. You can't change the outward uh, form of it or color of it or shape of it and make it an apple because of the nature of it. All right? So if we take the apple, though, and we slice it open, inwardly it's an apple, and what kind of seed's going to... Are we going to find an orange seed inside the apple? No. No, we're going to find an apple seed inside the apple. Amen. So do you understand better now why it says in 1 John 3, 9 that his seed abides in you. It's because you've become a partaker of his divine nature and, and the seed that produced that nature in you is now also in you. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. We do a little teaching. Amen. So good to see you. So glad you're here. Oh, God is good. Amen. Anybody glad to be saved? Ooh, been rescued. Amen. Amen. Been made something by God that I could never make myself. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Well, I, I got to go back. Amen. I, somebody's still struggling with this. Maybe it's somebody online and not in the room. Okay? Let's go through it one more time. All right? Is it possible for someone with a sin nature to do something right or good? Yeah. But doing right and good cannot change their nature from sinner to righteous, sinner to saint. Okay? So in the same way, is it possible for someone with a righteous nature to do something wrong or bad? Yes. Yep. But doing wrong or bad cannot change their nature from righteous to sinner. Okay? Now, let's get some more word on all this. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse number 12. And, and for those of you uh, keeping score, all right, at home or, or, you know, following along, this section, this section is entitled Sinless Sinners, okay? Now, if you hadn't figured it out by now, um, God is brilliant, okay? And we know the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit inspired, breathed. God breathed, inspired means God breathed. God breathed, inspired the scriptures. And all scriptures given by inspiration. All scriptures given by God breathing. And we see that God 
breathed this by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, and it relates directly to making the point that we've made up until this moment in our class. And so there, there's going to be some teaching here, and the Holy Spirit's going to help us, and it's going to require His help for us to grab hold of this, amen, just like anything else. But just stay with me, and even if you have a question or two, you feel free uh, to, uh, to ask them. But I really want you to, to grab hold of this because this is so important, okay? So it begins in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? We'll come back. We'll break it down. Just stay with me. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Imputed means kept a record of. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, And Adam is what? A type of him who was to come. Now, here, if I could, simplify for you what we are being taught in Romans, the fifth chapter, and of course other places. And in in just a somewhat simple statement or sentence, it was not your sin that made you a sinner and it was not your obedience and good works that made you righteous. That's important, okay? What's the point? Here's the point. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. I'm not saying that you haven't sinned and I'm not saying that I haven't sinned. We've all sinned. The Bible's very clear about that. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's highest and best. His his glory, okay? But... It was not your sin that made you, by nature, a sinner. And in the same way that it was not your sin that made you a sinner, it's not your obedience, it's not your adherence to the law, it's not your good works that's made you righteous. The Bible introduces a new terminology or a new name for Jesus. That name is the last Adam. The first Adam... It was his sin, if you haven't put two and two together yet. It was the first Adam's sin that made you and me sinners. And it was the last Adam's obedience that made you and me righteous. Amen. That's important. That's important. And a lot of folks really, really, really struggle with this. And Romans 10, we're going to talk about it in the evening message here at Heritage at the 7 o'clock service, okay? In Romans 10, we see a group of people that Paul says they had a zeal for God. They, they, they had this passion for God, but not according to knowledge. And being ignorant of God's righteousness, they worked to try and establish their own righteousness. Because they're ignorant of God's righteousness, they tried to make themselves right instead of submitting to the righteousness of God. Instead of submitting to the righteousness of God. What are they doing? They're insisting on making themselves something they can't make themselves. But that God will freely and gladly and joyfully make them 
But what is what is it got to what what's, what what do they got to do? What do we have to do? What did you have to do? What did I have to do? We've got to submit, right? We've got to submit. Why why would people insist on trying to establish an inferior standard of righteousness that's not acceptable to God, rather than receiving a perfect standard of righteousness from God? Right? Well, I'll tell you one of the main reasons is we like to be in control of things. We we we'd rather try to do it ourselves. Instead of trust God to do it for us and, and submit to Him and believe on Him. Amen? So, it was not your sin that made you a sinner. That was the first Adam's sin. Any more than it's your righteousness or your good works or your good behavior that has now, if you're born again, made you righteous. So, to make this point, the Holy Spirit directs Paul's attention to one of the more unique groups of people who have ever lived on planet Earth. And these are the people who lived on planet Earth from the days of Adam's sin to the day God gave the law, the commandments, to God's people through Moses. You have a lot of people who lived from Adam to Moses before the law was given who never in the eyes of God committed a single sin. Now, God's not saying, so stay with me now, God's not saying that they weren't doing wrong. They certainly were. But the only law that God had given was do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were the only ones who did that. They were the only ones who committed that sin. And now you've got all of these people who lived between Adam and Moses that had no other law given but that one commandment, and none of them broke that commandment, but they died anyway. They died the same death of a sinner, even though in the eyes of God, they had never committed a sin. Because it, it wasn't imputed. Now, the Bible says the same thing about you and me, 2 Corinthians 5 and other places, that God no longer remembers our sin. He no longer keeps a record of our sin. He no longer imputes sin. Blessed is the man to whom God no longer uh, imputes or keeps a record or an account of sin. People say, you shouldn't tell them that. You, you should keep them guessing. You should keep them... No, no, because again, it's the grace of God that teaches us to live righteously and soberly in this present evil age. It's, the, it's understanding what He's done for you and how much you mean to Him and how much He loves you. It's what motivates us to purify our lives even as Christ is pure. It's not the guilt and the shame and the fear and the condemnation that's, that's vomited on people from the religious pulpits around this world every Sunday. That, that's not those things that motivate us to live right and to purify our lives even as Christ is pure. It's an understanding of His love for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we stand before Him, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. And whoever has this hope in Him will purify Him himself even as Christ is pure. 1 John 3, 1, 2, and 3. So you see, it's exactly opposite. Do you see how the devil has so snookered so many preachers who I believe mean well, 
But they stand in the pulpit and they try to scare people and, and try to threaten them and shame them and guilt them and condemn them into doing right. And, and, and what they don't realize is that they're telling them that they're one thing and now go live in direct opposite to who you are. And they tell us we're sinners and then at the end of the message, you know, now go live right. I was told for years from the pulpits that I, that I sit under to actually live in contradiction to who they said I was. If I am a sinner, then I have nothing left to do but sin. That's my nature. That's what I do. It's who I am. But I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint. I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is who I am now. I'm free now. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm free from sin. And because I'm not a slave to sin anymore and I'm free from sin, I'm letting Jesus teach me how to live in freedom, to live a righteous life. It was not my sin that made me a sinner. And he doesn't impute sin anymore. Amen. Let, me, let, me see if I can, let me see if I can say it this way, okay? Uh, you realize that there are places in the United States of America where the speed limit is drive at your own risk. There's no speed limit. It's just long, straight roads that hardly anybody travels, and usually they're out west and, you know, more... Uh, you know, conservative, whatever, minded politicians or what have you. But it's just drive at your own risk. So that means if you pass a state trooper doing 85 miles an hour, he may wave at you, but you'll be going too fast to see it. But he's not going to come pull you over. Because there's no law given, no transgression can be imputed. Are you seeing this? So did the people do wrong from Adam to Moses? Absolutely. They committed every kind of sin. If there had been commandments broken, they would have broken every one of those commandments. But there were no commandments given. And in the eyes of God, they never sinned. So these are people who are... Have I gone too far or not far enough? Do you understand this concept? Yes, it's, it's, it's so cool. Did I mention Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, Father, God and the Holy Spirit are brilliant? They're trying, to, they're trying to help us connect with this by using these men and women as an example, the sinless sinners. But let's go back to it, though, because I want you to see something. What are the wages of sin? What are the consequences of sin? Death. So it says, therefore, just as through one man, one man sin entered the world, and death entered through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. See, when Adam sinned, you and I were in Him. We were in Him in seed form. It's a little bit graphic. I hope it doesn't bother you. But when He stepped in it, we stepped in it with Him. It got on us just like it got on Him. Now, see, we, we sometimes don't look at things this way. But this is one of these key areas where we need our minds renewed because this is how Father God sees it. Because what we're talking about now is the power of seed. And, and you look in the Old Testament and you see where it's, it says something along these, these lines, okay? It says that the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth, I don't have that verse right in front of me, but it says the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. Do you understand what that means? 
Like if you suck on too many lemons, it makes that acid in the lemon makes your teeth. Oh, I can't even. Mm, thank you, Jesus. That, uh, <laughs> I don't like that. Okay. I'm not trying to be graphic, but like if you've ever vomited and the stomach acid, it'll make your teeth sharp. It'll set your teeth on edge. Okay. So notice now what he's saying under the Old Testament. He says the father sinned, but the children's teeth were set on edge. In other words, the, the fathers committed sin, and, but yet there were consequences that the children had to deal with because of their father's sin. Now, I rarely, if ever, will you hear me use these words, and I'm only using them now for illustration purposes, okay? But so please, you know, spirit, not the letter of what I'm saying. But I don't, I don't know, like, if you're with me on that, but I want to say, hold on a second, that's not fair. That's, that's, that's not fair for me to have sharp teeth like I vomited all night and I didn't eat the sour grapes. Okay? Well, guess what? It's not fair for Jesus to take the blame and punishment for all my wrongdoing and sin and me get the blessing and favor and life and freedom of God every day of my life for the rest of this life and into eternity. Do you, I mean, are, are you, amen. And we're not in Kansas anymore now. We're not under that eat the, eat the grapes and get the, sour, the, the sharp teeth. Amen. We, we done move. We're in, we in the new covenant now, praise God. Amen. amen. Right? My, my grandfather lived a, let's just say, very unholy life until he was 65. But now my mama's got three children in the ministry. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Praise God. Okay. All right. So just as through one man sin entered the world, and that one man's sin opened the door for death, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We all sinned when Adam sinned because we were in Adam when Adam sinned. Okay? For until the law, sin was in the world. Moses, right, when the law came, camp commandments came through Moses. Sin was in the world, but sin's not imputed when there's no law. So there's no law to break, therefore there was no sin committed. So that means all those people never died, right? Wrong. He's saying nevertheless, even though none of those people sinned, death reigned over them from Adam to Moses. Death still applied to those who had never sinned according to the likeness of Adam's sin, which would have been to eat the fruit. Adam ate the fruit, and they died. Are you, are you seeing this? Who is a type of him who was to come. Now, what does that mean? That means Jesus, in the same way that Adam sinned, and we were all made sinners, Jesus was obedient, and those who are now in him have all been made righteous. Let's go back to the key point. It was not your sin that made you a sinner, and it's not your obedience that makes you righteous. It was the first Adam's sin that made you a sinner. It was the last Adam's obedience that has made you and me righteous. It's the power of seed. We were born of the corrupted seed, and that corrupted seed brought death. Death equals separation. 
So we were separated from God spiritually, spiritual death, no life and nature of God flowing from God into us, which meant the only life that we had in our being during those times was a biological existence which is fleeting, which, which has an expiration date. So bios is still temporary, but our zoe is, come on now, it's eternal. It's eternal. And, and that's the real you anyway. Yes, sister. Say it loud. Type of him. Okay, so who is a type of him? Yes. I'm just making sure I'm clear. So a type of him meaning a type of Christ. Yes, a type of Christ. Yes. Type of God. Yes. So I'm trying to just read this as nevertheless death reigns from human to Moses, which is what I'm trying to understand. You know what I'm saying? So even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression, the sin of the first man. Let me say it this way. Let me say it and ask again if I don't clear it up, but let me say it this way, okay? Adam was the fountainhead of a new race of being, a race of being known as human that was created in the image and likeness of God. What is man? Okay, we've been answering that question, right? God class being, all these things, comparable to him to be compatible with him. So Adam was the first, okay? When God created Adam, um, he, he actually put the male and female components into one being and then separated the female part from the male part and then brought them back together as one in marriage, okay? So that's Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve then become the fountainhead. You understand what I mean by the fountainhead? Meaning, meaning that's, that's the, point, the point from which everything else flows. So we all flowed from Adam. So when he says that Adam was a type of him who was to come, he's saying that Jesus is going to become the fountainhead. Whoo, sweet Jesus, I got chills on that one right there. Thank you, Lord. I'm not trying to be too graphic on you. Man, thank you, Jesus. He's becoming the fountainhead of a new species, of a new race of people, right? New nature in us. Are you following what I'm saying, man? Gosh, am I the only one that gets excited about this or what? I'm not trying to. Amen. So a type of him who was to come, meaning in, in the same way that Jesus is the fountainhead of a new race. Remember, we, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a chosen generation. We, 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 you, you are not the same as someone who has never been born again. Amen. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians, kind of correcting them. He said, you're behaving like mere men. You are not a mere man or a mere woman anymore. You, you are, you are a, a God birthed, born from above, born from an incorruptible seed. The very Spirit of God, temple of the Holy Spirit, is who, is who He made you. Amen. Amen. So, that, so, He was a type of Him who was to come. And we'll do this. I, not now, because there's other things that we want to do as we're building on this. But in the days ahead, we're going to go through Romans 5. Do it before you go to bed tonight, okay? Romans 5. He goes through this. It, it falls into this pattern. It falls into this rhythm, right? If, if, Adam's transgression, if, if Adam's sin has produced this result in our lives, he then goes, how much more will the obedience of the one, Christ Jesus... Right? If Adam's sin separated us from God, how much more are we now saved from wrath 
through him who died for us. And so what we, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. What he's explaining to us is that in the same way Adam's sinfulness produced all of these negative results in our lives, Jesus' obedience has produced all of these positive results in our lives, but it's not that they're on the same plane. If, if Adam's sin had the power to produce all that negative, how much more, how much greater now will the sacrifice and the gift of Jesus make us right with God and preserve us? If he died for you while you were yet a sinner, how much more will you be saved by his life now that you are no longer his enemy, but his son or his daughter? So the whole, the whole remaining part of, of chapter 5, uh, you know, it goes over and over and over. Those who've received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will rule and reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. And, and he's drawing that in, in direct uh, correlation or, or contrast, I don't, amen, to how death reigned, death reigned over mankind. I mean, it didn't, it didn't matter what you said, what you did, there wasn't no way out. We were lost, we were without God, we had no hope of ever being reconnected uh, to Him. We were doomed, we were dead men and women walking, and we had no way to make it right. No amount of money would ever fix it. No amount of good behavior would ever fix it. No, no amount of begging or, or pleading or cutting ourselves or hurting ourselves or punishing ourselves or fasting ourselves. Or, nothing would ever change it. Nothing would ever fix it. We were lost. We were without God. And we were doomed. We were, we were bound for a devil's hell. And we deserved it. I mean, I, we deserved it. But thank God our Father didn't want us to die. And he didn't want us to get what we deserved. And so Jesus said, before he ever created Adam, knowing what would happen, he said, I'll go take care of it one day, Father. Let's go ahead and create him. In the end, it'll be worth it. In the end, it'll be worth it. Wow. Man, it's overwhelming love that he has for us. You see why the devil's tried your whole life to, to keep you from ever finding any of this out? He doesn't want you to know this. He doesn't want you to wake up on Thursday morning, uh, what will it be tomorrow? March 16th, knowing how much God loves you and what Jesus has done for you and who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. He's tried to marginalize you, trivialize you, lie to you, keep you confused your whole life. So they all suffered the consequences of sin, which is death. Not because they sinned, but because one man, Adam, sinned. And they were all born of his corrupted seed. All right, so in the time we have remaining, let's talk a little bit about the power of seed. The power of seed. Seed are powerful things. Now, here's the cool thing, and I don't know if we'll get this far, but let me go ahead and introduce this, this part. You'll sometimes hear me say seeds... Or seed, and, and the unique thing about it is, seed without the S can either be one or many. And that was how Father God um, kept one of His greatest plans covert for many years, because everyone thought the promises made to Abraham were made to Abraham's seed as of many, when in actuality all of those promises were made to, ultimately made to, and fulfilled in. Seed, capital S, 
as of one Jesus. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. This is why if you've been born again, you are the seed of Abraham. And you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus, but also an heir of Abraham's blessing. We've got a lot to teach you before we finish up these next, uh, what do we got now, seven more classes? All right. So let's build on this then, the power of seed. So as we've already said, let me make it again as we move forward. Every human being was in Adam when Adam sinned. We were in him in seed form. Therefore, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And at that point, we all became sinners. You were a sinner before you were born. I, I mean, they, that people can, I mean, again, agree with God and agree with them quickly. We, you can argue about that. You know, but again, right? Um, you say, well, does that mean, you know, if a baby dies, they, no. We, we know they're in heaven, age of accountability. Amen. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I know people that have been there and they've seen them. They've seen kids there. Okay, so praise God. Um, so <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews, I believe was the Apostle Paul, but we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, he reveals the truth about seed this way. In clarifying the confusion over Jesus being our high priest, while not being from the tribe of Levi. Don't let me bore you on this. We're going to, I'll explain it, okay? And also he did this in exalting the superiority of the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, watch this. The, the book of Hebrews is unlike any of the other epistles in that the other epistles were written to the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus. So the uh, audience, the given audience, was a born-again believer. But the book of Hebrews is an open letter to the Hebrew people, meaning the book of Hebrews is not just written to Hebrews, Jewish men and women who've been born again. It's also written to Jewish men and women who have not yet been born again. I believe the writer of Hebrews was going after a generation of Jewish men and women who had personally experienced, or let me say it the way he says it, who had tasted of the heavenly gift. They had personally experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus. We know that if every miracle Jesus performed was written down on paper, there would not be room enough to contain the volumes according to the end of the Gospel of John. What we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is a very small sample of the thousands of people that Jesus touched and healed and delivered and ministered to in some way while he was here on this earth. Now, it's hard for us to understand, but a lot of those people, or some of those people anyway, never received Jesus as their Savior. They never called upon his name. And we even see Jesus warning the uh, 70 and the 12 Remember, he sent them out to cast out devils, to, to uh, heal the sick, to even raise the dead. But he told them, he said, listen now, when it comes time to, to, to enter into the kingdom, which is not go to heaven when you die, but when the doors of the kingdom will be opened for a man or woman to be born again and enter into it, he says, don't make the mistake of thinking that because you've been used in this way by God, that you do not need me as a savior, right? Right? A lot of people get confused by those verses. 
You know, many have said unto me in those, will say unto me those days, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? Who is he talking about that's cast out demons that don't know God? He's talking about those group of men and women that, that he empowered to go cast out devils that I'm sure thought they were like, you know, uh, already got the front row seats in heaven. And he's like, listen now, this is important, but it's no substitute for Uriah's Mary, the Virgin Mary, right? She had to receive Jesus as her Savior. Amen. I'm trying to insult anybody or offend anybody who's Catholic, but, you know, the child that you've delivered will one day deliver you. One of my favorite lines out of one of my favorite Christmas songs, right? So he's writing to the Hebrews, and he's trying to bring, bring in these Jewish men and women who had heard Jesus and who had experienced Him and who had tasted Him, but had basically left Him hanging on the cross. They crucified Him afresh every day that they knew about Him, but wouldn't make a decision. At least the Romans had enough you know, courtesy about Him to take Him off the cross and bury Him. But they just kept crucifying Him over and over again. And so the writer of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews is going after these men and women. And so he's systematically showing them how Jesus is superior to angels, for example. He talks about that in the first part, how he's the express image and he's, he's greater than angels and in no place. And he quotes from the Old Testament, in no place did he ever tell an angel, you know, um, sit here till I make your enemies your footstool. And so he's working through all of these what would have been hang-ups and and mental blocks that people had accepting once and for all that Jesus was their Messiah and for them to call upon His name to receive salvation. Okay, Now, among those hang-ups or hiccups or issues that people had was that the Messiah was to be the great high priest. And, the, and in those days, all the priests had descended from Levi, the tribe of Levi. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those 12 tribes, one of those sons, one of his sons was named Levi. And the descendants of Levi became the priesthood for the nation, the other 11 tribes of Israel. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. It's from the line from the tribe of Judah. And so this was a hang-up for people. They're like... He can't be the Messiah because he's the, supposed to be the high priest and, and he, he would therefore have to descend from Levi. So they were expecting the Messiah to be born from the, the Levitical line. That's where we get Levitical priesthood. All right. So here is how the Holy Spirit addresses that through the Apostle Paul. I'm sorry, the Apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews. Okay, amen. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 9. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. It's like, is that supposed to be an answer for me, Pastor Mark? Yes, it is. Okay, let me explain. When Abraham returned from battle, having defeated a league of kings with an army raised in his own house, a supernatural victory. And he returned from that battle victoriously. And the Bible says that he gave a tenth of all. It's the first record we have of an actual tithe being one-tenth. He gave a tenth of all to Melchizedek. 
Melchizedek is a representative of the heavenly priesthood, the priestly order of Melchizedek. He's saying that Jesus is the great high priest. He did not descend from Levi. He is not of the Levitical priest order. He is of the Melchizedek priestly order. And the Melchizedek priestly order is superior to the Levitical priestly order because because, because Levi paid tithes. Follow me now. Praise God. i got to get these folks back on the screen here. I'm sorry, guys. All right. Watch it online. So, oh, sweet Jesus. Are you, are you following this? It, it, amen. I need to make a drawing here. Okay. I want you to see this. So, he's, slow down, Mark. All right. I'm looking at the clock at 642, so I've got three minutes, really less than that, but we're good. All right. Amen. What's the, what's the point? The point is this. Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. And somebody was going, no, he didn't. He wasn't alive to pay, to pay tithes to Melchizedek. You're exactly right. He wasn't physically alive to pay them, but he paid them nonetheless because he paid tithes to Melchizedek when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek because he was still in the body of Abraham when those tithes were paid. The power of a seed. Now, what are we getting right here? We're getting a glimpse into how God sees this. You may not look at it this way. I hope you'll start looking at it this way. But what we're seeing now is how God looks at it. I'm not, I'm not here to teach about Melchizedek. I'm not here to teach about Levi. I'm not even here to teach about tithing. But what I'm trying to get you to see is the power of a seed. And God says, help those people understand that Jesus is the Messiah and he's not from Levi, he's from Melchizedek. And the, and the priests of Melchizedek are greater than the priests of Levi because Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. Right? The lesser is blessed by the greater. You, amen. I'm going all that. So, do you see the power of seed? This may sound like some crazy argument that somebody pulled out of nowhere, except for it's the Word of God. This is God making the point. This is God making the case. Amen? All right, one more. I keep wanting to keep going here. But how about this one? Scene of the crime. Adam and Eve have sinned, right? God the Father's on the scene, and God the Father's doing what God the Father does best. He's showing mercy and compassion. He makes them clothes. Before they sinned, they were smart enough to name every animal. Afterwards, they don't even know how to make themselves a covering. They, they grab leaves to make them clothes out of, right? So God kills an animal. He makes some clothes from animal hide for them. And he says this, among other things, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to, the, to, to Satan, between you and the woman and between your seed and her. See it? Capital S. Her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what is God the Father's answer? He's, he's on the scene where the whole thing's come off the wheels. He wasn't surprised by it. He knew it was coming. He stands there in the middle of it. He asks the questions. He pronounces the curse. And then he says, all this will be fixed one day by a woman who will come to the earth and she will bring forth a seed. And it's almost like God doesn't understand reproduction because if you understand reproduction, seed doesn't come from a woman, does it? Seed comes from a man. But God wasn't talking about that kind of seed. He was talking about the seed. That's why it's capital S. 
in most Bibles, it's, it's the seed of his son that will come forth from the womb of a teenage virgin named Mary. This is why when Jesus hung on the cross, he wasn't being disrespectful when he called her woman, right? He was calling her woman because she's the woman. She's the woman that God the Father told the devil would one day come to the earth and bring forth a seed that would crush his head. Amen, amen, amen. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for helping us, Lord. We've covered a lot of ground tonight. A lot of different things all related. Holy Spirit, you're the one who who weaves all this together, who imparts these things deep into us. Lord, that we would receive your word with meekness tonight, engrafted, Lord, into us. Father, not just something that we know or know about, but something that has become a part of us now. Lord, that will be with us, that can never be taken from us, that will produce fruit in, among, and through us for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Good things coming. Thank you for watching online. Uh, We'll pick it up uh, here next week.